Homosexuality was present throughout biblical times as well. It's addressed in the Old Testament. It was present, very prominent in the culture of the New Testament. Did that stop the people of God? Did that hinder the advance of the purposes of Christ? Did it keep his church from growing? No. Welcome again to The Truth Pulpit with Don Green, founding pastor of Truth Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi, I'm Bill Wright. And as Don continues to teach God's people God's Word, he'll be concluding a message titled The Future of the Church and Homosexuality. Last time, Don laid out some can't-dos in confronting the issue. We're now ready for some must-dos. But first, Don's here to share a word about our current series, The Bible and Pride Month. Well, Bill, we are undertaking a month-long series of messages here on the Truth Pulpit to counteract the existence of Pride Month. You know, in my opinion, Bill, the Pride Month is the most ridiculous and destructive propaganda campaign that has ever been perpetrated on the American people and beyond them to the entire world. It started with the acceptance of homosexuality, moved to the mandated acceptance of homosexual marriage, from there to the promotion of transgenderism, to the infliction of transgenderism on children, to the current grooming of children through the appalling existence of drag queen hours. You know, it seemed to me that there needed to be someone saying something each day in opposition to Pride Month in response to all of those things. So my friend, as you listen today, all that is being promoted here on the Truth Pulpit this month is designed to bring a biblical perspective to help you process what you are seeing in the world around you. Our goal is to be a voice in the wilderness of opposition to it all one day at a time. And so I trust it will help you see things clearly from God's perspective and that you will be encouraged to speak boldly for Christ in your circle of influence. Thanks for being with us today on The Truth Pulpit. Thanks, Don. And friend, let's get right to it as we join Don Green in The Truth Pulpit. Homosexuality. What is the positive agenda for the Church of Jesus Christ in times like this? What must we do? I'm going to list out six items here. I gave you four things that we cannot do. I'm going to give you six items now that we must do. First of all, we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves in light of the world's fascination and approval of homosexuality. We humble ourselves. This is very critical for us, beloved. It is easy for us, on an individual or on a corporate level, it is easy for us to point out the sins of others and ignore our own. Repentance for you is not a matter of repenting of the sins of society of which you're not personally guilty. That's not the spirit of repentance, to say, oh, I reject the sins of my society. It's good that you do that, but understand that that's not personal repentance. What about your own sins, the things that you are guilty of? Are you turning from sin in your own life, your own anger, your own lust, your own deceit? We have to humble ourselves enough to remember that we examine our own lives even as we are discerning about the society that is around us. 
Look over at Matthew chapter 7. We must humble ourselves enough to confess our own sins in the presence of God, to examine ourselves, and to remember our past. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, a word that I understand is greatly twisted against us by those who have no part in the things of the Lord. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, we'll not worry about the misinterpretations that are thrown against us, and we'll just take it for what the Lord means for His people here. In Matthew 7, verse 1, He says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We humble ourselves enough to examine ourselves and to confess before the Lord and before our others, not our individual sins, but you know, I'm a sinner too. I too need a Savior. I too needed to be born again. And we, and we, we examine ourselves and we realize that we ourselves, even as Christians, fall short of the glory of God. And so we... We don't simply go immediately to the attack on the sins of society. We start with ourselves and we look in the mirror, as it were, and say, Lord, forgive me. I am the man of unclean lips. I'm the man of an unclean heart. I'm the man, I'm the woman of deceit. I'm the woman of gossip. Father, I confess that and I humble myself before you and I ask you to forgive me for my own sins, for I have dishonored my Savior with my life today the past week, the past month, whenever the last time was that you confessed sin in your own life. We humble ourselves and not simply lift ourselves up in pride because we're not guilty of the sins of the society around us. There's plenty of sin in your own life to keep you busy, confessing before God how you've fallen short. And so we humble ourselves even as believers, along that line. Now, along with that, I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, meaning going back to verse 3 where he said, Immorality, impurity, greed must not be named among you. No filthiness or silly talk, coarse jesting. Verse 5, know this with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul goes on in verse 6, says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Watch where he goes. You don't see this coming. He says, therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. But now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. He reminds them of their prior unconverted past. He says, you used to be the child of wrath. You used to be the one who was dominated by the devil. You used to be the one who was dead in trespasses and sins. 
And now you are a child of light simply because God had grace and mercy upon your soul and brought you to Christ in order to deliver you from your sin. Remember your own spiritual past. You formerly were darkness. Well, remember that lest you become puffed up against the society that's around you. We proclaim the gospel as forgiven sinners, not those who are righteous in our own merit. We merely extend to unsaved people the same mercy that has already been shown to us. Now, having done that, what else do we do? Well, secondly, we teach the Bible. We teach the Bible. Go over to Matthew 28. We teach the Bible so that men will know the counsel of God. And wherever God gives us opportunity, we go and we declare his word. We declare the counsel of God. Whether it's over a cup of coffee in a restaurant or whether it's in a conference like this or wherever the Lord opens doors to us, we take the Bible and we unfold its meaning to men. Matthew 28. Verse 18, and there's a very important point wrapped up in this. There's a lot of important points wrapped up in this. But just to remind you of this familiar passage, what is it that we do now? Now that the world has changed around us, what do we do? What did Jesus tell us to do? It's not complicated. He says in verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We won't do a full exposition of the passage here. Just simply note that Jesus said, you go and teach. You go into all of the nations with all of their darkness, with all of their idolatry, with all of their sin, with all of their hostility. You go in my name, on my authority, and you teach what I said. Oh, we can do that, right? We'll teach the Bible so that men will know the counsel of God. The very first thing that we want to do is teach the Word of God. In the power of the Spirit, in reliance on the work of God in the hearts of those who hear, with an expectation that we are going to see people turn to Christ even in this dark age. And so... Do we see homosexuality flourishing and grow and great, gaining in greater power? We're just driven back, and, and the ways simply toss us back more on the rock of God's Word, on the rock of our Lord Jesus Christ, where alone is our refuge, where alone is our power, and we preach it, God helping us without any compromise whatsoever, declaring the full counsel of God, knowing that it is able to sanctify people and build them up in Christ and to bring them to repentance. So we'll teach the Bible. Thirdly, what must we do? We must be gentle before men. We must be gentle before men. Look over at 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's not ours to be abrasive in spirit. Oh, we'll be accused of being abrasive simply because we speak the truth. But let there not be truth to an accusation that we were quarrelsome in spirit as we did so. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, 
patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. As we teach the Bible, we're mindful of the spirit that God calls us to handle ourselves in, not in an angry, contentious spirit, but in a spirit of kindness, of patience, even when we are being wronged, and we anticipate being wronged in the days to come. We expect people to misrepresent us, to lie about us, to do bad things to us. And in the midst of all of that, we will adopt the spirit of our Lord who has gone before us, who stood before those who tried him when they spat upon him, when they blindfolded him, when they beat him with their fists, when they thrust the crown of thorns into his head, when they nailed him to the cross. And there was an utter lack of a spirit of retaliation in him. He could say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so we recognize our responsibility to be gentle, even as our Lord was gentle and gracious to us in our sin and rebellion against him. And when we think about the realm of homosexuals, I believe that in time, God will display the fact that from this moment going forward, there was a harvest for the gospel of homosexuals waiting to be had. And if that proves to be true, as I believe it will, certainly he's not done saving sinners, is he? So he's not done saving homosexuals. When God saves homosexuals in the days to come, the glory of that will be awesome. And he will be magnified still more by his grace on those who rebelled. We're gentle before men. Fourthly, what must we do, especially in light of what we just said? We must be ready to minister to repentant homosexuals. When homosexuals are converted to Christ, we will have to help them establish new life patterns and help them grow in Christ. As babes in Christ, we will have to nourish them and help them along. Just like, Christian, someone earlier in your life came alongside you in your ignorance and weakness and showed kindness and helped nourish you in Christ. Pastor, a friend, in my case, an elder who came alongside and just spent time with just me. There was no one watching. And God bless Morris Robertson for the way he, for the way he poured a gentle, instructive spirit into the life of someone who had just come to Christ. Well, beloved, when a harvest of homosexuals converted to Christ is manifested and some of them come, then what we've received we'll give to them as well. And they're going to need a special measure of help. As we've started to see in our families, you know, the, there's something about the nature of the homosexual life that, 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 that separates them from their family, that some of them are separating and they just seal off and they stop communicating with their families. Well, when they come to Christ, what's going to happen when those that they thought were their friends abandoned them for that? 
What, what's going to happen to them? They're going to have to find in us, in the people of God, those who are willing to patiently minister to them, to work through the, the outworking of change, to work, to work with them and to be patient with them as they struggle and sometimes fail with the remnants of the temptations of their past life that enslaved them. We're going to have to teach them what it's like to break off relationships, to change their cell phone numbers, to destroy homosexual material in their possession, and just in very practical ways say, this is how you do it. And in that, we'll point them to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at there with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse, verses 22 and 24. We'll have to take them to this passage and say, in reference to your former manner of life, you need to lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. To tell them that, that God has given you a new mind in your salvation. He's given you a new nature. Live according to that. Feed that new nature in Scripture, in prayer, in fellowship with God's people. And separate yourself from the prior relationships that led you into sin. For them, it won't be easy. For us, it may not be easy. But we recognize that this is the privilege and opportunity of the church to welcome in new life, new babes, and say, oh, we have the chance to be the incubator in which their life takes root. And somehow I fear that, not necessarily in our church, but in churches in general, that, that, that we, we must be careful, we must be prepared in advance when this harvest of souls begins to come in that we don't treat them like Jewish Christians tried to treat the Gentile Christians, as though they were second class, although they were on the outside there, second class citizens in the kingdom of God. If Christ saves them, they're going to be equal co-heirs with Christ with us, regardless of their prior sin. And so we must be prepared to minister to repentant homosexuals. Fifthly, I'm almost done here. Fifthly, we must brace for persecution, and that's okay. We realize that as we stand for Christ, as we teach His Word, as we declare homosexuality to be a sin that must be repented of rather than a lifestyle to be embraced, we realize that many will oppose us. We accept that. Scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 3, says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And so we won't be surprised. We won't resent the trouble that that brings, but we will rejoice in what it means. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. You know, people talk, there's so many people saying, oh, persecution's coming, it's going to be really bad, it's going to be really bad, and, and just whip us up into a sense of fear, and then sometimes tag on a, request for donations at the end of the fear-mongering. Well, what did Jesus say about persecution? Verses 10 through 12 of Matthew 5. He said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed, it means people like this are a privileged recipient of divine favor. 
Blessed are those who have been persecuted because you are on the receiving end of a grace of God. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. When that happens, Jesus says, be frightened and go into hiding, for they are certain to win the victory over you. Wait, I wasn't looking at the page when I said that. Let's, let's check against here. Ah, you know what? That's not what he said. Look at this in verse 12. He said something completely different. He said, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If, if persecution comes to us, then we should be positioned by a prior understanding of Scripture to realize that this is a grace from God, that we don't go into heaven on a gilded carpet when our Lord suffered on Calvary in order to save us. We recognize it as a privilege to share in His sufferings, to be a fellow sufferer with Christ to identify with the prophets who were slain and persecuted before the days of Christ, to identify with the shed blood of martyrs in the days following the apostles. Sometime, if you have it on your shelf, just pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs and open it at random and look at the faithful record of men who are forgotten by time now And yet there you read their words of simply wanting to trust Christ and be faithful and say, if you must take my head, take my head, because I will trust my Christ. Do you see how noble all of this is? We're being being taught, we're we're starting to be conditioned by some Christian leaders to fear persecution and to be be drawn into a a, a sense of of fear and, and concern. Jesus taught us just the exact opposite. He said, if this comes to you, rejoice and be glad because you are going to be identifying with the people of God. What happened to them happens to you. Realize that you are in the flow of a noble heritage, and that's a great privilege to be in. And he says still further, he says, your reward in heaven is great if this happens to you. It's out of of all manner of proportion that the little bit of suffering that you have here for the sake of Christ today, he multiplies in blessings in the end. He totally reverses the way that we are being said to look at our day and age right now. And so while we say, okay, this may happen, we say it not in fear. We say if it comes, we'll be confident, we'll rejoice, we'll be glad, because it'll be a signature mark that we do not belong to this world because they do not persecute their own. Why would they? You know, Satan doesn't divide against Satan. And so, lastly, in all of this, kind of a summary point here, number six, we take heart. We take heart. We take courage. We stand strong. We model to the world 
We model to each other. We model to our children. We model to a future generation yet to be born what it looks like to be spiritual men in a time like this. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Christ will keep us in this age. Christ will use us in this age. Christ will bless us in this age. We know what we must not do. We know what we must do. And knowing that, we go forward in peace and confidence and unconquerable joy. The Bible and homosexuality has been the subject of Pastor Don Green's attention for the past few broadcasts here on The Truth Pulpit. Frankly, it's not an easy topic to tackle in today's cultural environment. But God's Word does not change just because society does. The truth remains the truth. Protests to the contrary notwithstanding. Well, right now, Don's back in studio with a resource offer to help you as you relate what you've learned to others. Well, let me just remind you one final time that you can go to our website and get a complete series of our study, The Bible and Homosexuality, that contains a lot of material that we didn't have time to broadcast on the radio. Here's Bill to help you find that free resource that we really want to share with you. Just visit thetruthpulpit.com. There, you can also find a link to Don's Facebook page and much more. That's all at thetruthpulpit.com. I'm Bill Wright, inviting you back next time as Don Green teaches God's people God's Word from the Truth Pulpit.